This is a Podfire production. This podcast may include explicit themes or swearing and may not be suitable for children. The world is full of amazing people, and once a week, I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum, and this is Awesome Humans. In today's episode of Awesome Humans, I'm joined by writer, director, and producer, Joss Hale. Josh was born in San Leandro, okay, California, and has worked on a number of films over the years, such as Digital Athletes, Relived and Insert Words Here, Josh studied at the New York Film Academy in 2014 here in Australia, undertaking an advanced diploma of screen and media in filmmaking on the Gold Coast campus. Before all of this, Josh was filming skateboard videos, but felt inspired to do more and be more with the skill and passion for the film industry. Josh's film career has since taken off with his latest film, House of Inequality, being showcased at the Gold Coast Film Festival. That's exciting. What an inspiration to all filmmakers. I'm excited about today's guest. Welcome, Josh. Hello, thanks for having me on. How are you, mate? I'm good. Yeah, I'm well. Do you do this stuff much? No, I haven't uh, done this much at all, no. So you, so what about, do you like talking about yourself or are you sort of more of a behind the camera, just sort of directing and filming? No, well, um, I do some work with the uh, New York Film Academy in Australia, so mm-hmm. I, I work for them now and um, they have me doing a lot of gigs where I, I talk to students and potential students. I go to high school, so I'm very comfortable talking about filmmaking and, and myself and oh, things like that. Oh, that's all right, then, because that's the whole point of Awesome Humans is to talk about you. So let's start at the very beginning. What's, what's your first ever memory? How far back can you go, you reckon? My first memory I have is, uh, it's an odd one. It's uh, when I was, very, I'd say I would be four years old or, or maybe a little younger. Uh, I had a hernia operation, and my first memory is waking up at about five in the morning. This is uh, in California, and it was dark outside and holding my dad's hand, walking out in the living room, and that old Robin Williams uh, movie Popeye was yeah. on TV, right? And um, so I just remember that, and it was like a, it was a weird feeling, and I was headed to somewhere in Oakland to get this surgery that I had no idea. I was a little kid, but I think because of the severity of the situation, I, it stands out to me as, like, my earliest memory, I think. Isn't it amazing you sort of look back that far now and you can remember watching that, seeing that, all that sort of stuff. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I tested it with my, with my mom. I, I asked her, uh, you know, is this the car we drove? You know, little details just yeah. to make sure that I wasn't sort of painting a picture in my head. And she was like, wow, it's pretty amazing you remember all that. Yeah, because a lot of memories are brought back by looking at old photographs and those sort of things. But to actually have a vivid memory is, uh, is a pretty cool thing. And I think as a storyteller and in your case as a filmmaker, that's a really good sort of way to look at life because of the, the different things that pop into your head and, like, they may be real, they may not be, but at the same time, um, to be able to think back that far is pretty awesome. Yeah, it definitely helps. Um, as a sort of storyteller, just being able to recall certain things through life, you know, it's like I don't find myself having to do uh, a, an extreme amount of research in that. Yeah. I can kind of find characters that I've met throughout the years and, and things that stand out to me in that sense. And do you find that a lot of that's not premeditated? So, like, I'll come up to you and say, I want to do this, this, and you can think, oh, yeah, actually, if you did that, and then you realise, oh, actually, that's that bloke I once knew. Do you know what I mean? Like, or or are you more of a thinker? How, how do you make that work? Uh, it's definitely not instant. I would uh, I'd sort of get into my writing zone. I have, like, a, a method that I sort of stick to, and um, whenever I 
sort of start to develop a character or things like that. I, I pull from a lot of things. And then, of course, with film, you over-dramatize. So of I, uh, I add some extra drama so nobody out there can go like, oh, that film's about that's me. And it's like, no, no, it's not, it's not really. Um, but a lot of basis, you know, sometimes it could just be somebody, you know, if I'm walking through surfers and you yeah, see yeah. someone interesting with an interesting tick, maybe you just add that to a character to bring a bit of reality to them or. And when, when you say you're getting your writing zone, so what, what's that? How, how do you explain to me how you get in your writing zone? Um, I, I write usually from about 11 PM till about six or seven in the morning. Okay. Um, so when I'm writing, um, yeah. and, that way, well, my phone doesn't ring. Nobody bothers me. <laughs> it's quiet outside. Everyone in the house is asleep. I can really easily put myself into the world I'm, I'm writing and not uh -huh. be taken out where I've, I've found if I write during the day and a, any distraction, it's quick to bring me out of that world, but it's very difficult for me to sink back into it seamlessly. So I just found that if I take all distractions out, it, it sort of is more effective and I'm way more, uh, I can just get more done. And are you a flow writer or do you have to think of a lot about what you're writing about? Like let's say you start a story or a character like we were just talking about. Do you find that it all sort of it, it just keeps coming or do you have to sort of sit back and have a really good think about each of those individual pieces? Um, I've been very blessed over time to work with many brilliant minds in, in the film industry and writers specifically and through that in my own little research and going to film school, I was able to kind of come up with my own little formula and that sort of helps me uh, get everything where I... So I, before I do anything writing-wise, I will think about a premise for... It could be months. Yeah. Like I was filming my last film, The House of Inequity, and I was thinking about what's next. I wasn't focused on it, but it's in there, you know, and the wheels are turning a little bit. So by the time it's like, okay, let's sit down and, and knock this one out, I'll write a basic premise. Sometimes I'll write three or four premises. And then the one that I really connect with is the one that I'm like, okay, I'm going to spend two years on this project, so I better love it. And that's kind of how I choose what's going to be next for me. And you, are you a writer as in physical writing? Are you a typist? Are you a, a, a speech? What, what's your go-to? Uh, type and, and pen, yeah. Type and pen? Yeah. I mean, I, it, I came from that sort of uh, very humble beginnings. My first screenplay I actually wrote with a pen in a you know, uh, notebook yeah, yeah. until I could sort of get a computer and, and put and it in still a have proper it? program. I do. Yeah. 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 I kept that. Uh, I actually transferred it in. So it's now properly formatted as a real screenplay, but, um, it, yeah, I sort of, I've always, it's always been something that's been at my fingertips. I come from very sort of, uh, low income upbringing. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have the opportunities to, uh, you know, have all the fancy stuff. So I just had to follow passion and, yeah, I always had a pen and paper and, you know, moving from the Bay Area to Australia and not having, you know, a lot of people that I knew, it, it's, and I'm an only child. Yeah. So it left me a lot of time with that pen and with that pad and just sort of uh, writing whatever it may be, you know, short stories or a, or a poem here and there or just thoughts. I do a thing that I call running writing where I just write and yeah. I don't think about anything. I just let it go. And, um, of course, those don't get seen by many people. <laughs> but, um, but they don't need to because that's your outlet. That's it. That's it, the thing that you do. It's like a brain dump, cool. you know. Yeah, yeah. You just kind of let it go. And then sometimes out of that I'll get cool dialogue, cool ideas, things like that that I can always incorporate. And I keep all my notebooks. So as a kid when you were doing that, did, did, did the parents sort of go, oh, he's just doing that, he's off in his thing? Because I'll tell you, I asked the question is that my son's a reader. He, if you let him go, he'd just read all day, all day. That's what he does. Like he'll go and hide and do stuff and just read. And the thing is he'll he'll read a book a day. 
And the thing is, that is, but that is where he gets away from everything. That's where he doesn't, where he doesn't have any issues or anything like because he's just stuck in this book. Did you find that that's probably what that writing was or how it started? Uh, a little bit, I guess. Um, I don't know. I just gravitated towards it. My my mum was very. Uh, artistically based. So she was happy mm -hmm. for me to draw and paint and and be creative in that sense. And I guess sort of little poems and short stories always kind of were something. I'm not much of a painter, not much of an artist, <laughs> you know, when it comes to that. But uh, well, it's I, a different I, art, isn't it? Absolutely. Really? Yeah, words are the most amazing art. Like I'm a, I'm a storyteller and I love to tell stories. And to me, being having the ability to tell a story or hear a story or learn a story whether, no matter what medium it's through, it's actually just a, it's something that fulfills. And like, whereas art is, I suppose, their way of doing that same sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, it's a, yeah, with storytelling, it's definitely something I can sink myself into. But I'm a big art, I appreciate art. Yeah, yeah, like, of course. I, I love art so much. You know, if I see something, some piece, I'll, I'll make sure I. I buy it, you know, I try and support <laughs> artists and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I think I appreciate it more because it's not my field and it's not my expertise. And, you know, and, and even that being said, I mean, writing's not really my expertise either. I mean, yeah. I'm, it's a craft that I'm still trying to work on constantly. You know, I don't think I'll ever sort of have it dialed. And the second that I do, you know, I like to be challenged. So it's time to move on. You of know? course, of course. So let's start back at the very beginning. Where were you born? I was born in San Leandro, California. Um, Which hospital? Uh, I think it was Vespa Hospital it was Vespa called. Hospital, I believe okay. that's what it was called. Yeah, yeah. Um, or it could be Veterans. It's something with a V. Uh, <laughs> I have to do my research. You don't almost. remember. No, no, that didn't didn't make it. Uh, and how long were you there? Did you grow up in that local area? I did, yeah, in the San Francisco Bay Area for, uh, for about 14 years I grew up there. And back then, what was that like? What was that area like? Because is that where Silicon Valley and all that sort of stuff is? Yeah, my dad used to work for Apple back in the day. Oh, okay. So um, that was interesting. Um, I mean, he uh, was not like one of the brains and technicians. He was yeah. sort of working in shipping and receiving. And prior to that, he worked in a lot of factories. So he was kind of like the kind of guy that, you know, uh, they tended to hire, you yeah. know, kind of thing. Like he was, uh, he was kind of cut from a different cloth and they liked people like that around Apple back then. And I always sort of commend them for that. Um, but as far as like, you know, he wasn't one of the big wigs there, which yeah. is, he was sort of probably making minimum wage or whatever. But right at the upstart, he used to take me in on Saturdays and it was just like crazy. Into Apple? Yeah, to wow. see that. And I still have my little passes and stuff to get in and stuff. <laughs> um, and it was nuts. I mean, again, he was, uh, you know, shipping and receiving. So he was on the docks, but uh, it was interesting to see that. And I, I noticed that my dad actually grew as a person when he got out of these weird factory jobs and got into something where it was kind of cool and hip and he yeah. was respected on a different level. And, and he grew as a, as a person like tremendously until, you know, they laid him off when uh, the big takeover happened. And yeah. eventually uh, that was the sort of opening to, to move out to Australia. So what, um, what, what prompted the move? How old were you when you come to Australia? I was 14. Um, so was that middle school in the US? I, first year of high school, I was a freshman in high school out there. Okay. Not a very good student either. So what about, sort of, so what's, what's before high school? Is that, uh, that was middle school, junior high. Junior high. Yeah. And what sort of kid were you in junior high? Were you a, a nerd, a jock? Or? Uh, I played baseball, um, I skateboarded. But uh, I was kind of just the, the easily forgotten kid. You know, okay. I wasn't really a nerd. I wasn't popular. I was just like a, a guy. I mean, I was very... Uh, happy to kind of do my own thing. And I know I don't want to pigeonhole America for the fact that they 
they very much like those categories. And, yeah. and I never really fit into any of them. And even with my good friends, when we were in that school environment, you know, I would hang out, but I never really felt like I fit in, even with the people that I hang out all the time with. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was very much tried to just be an individual. So I just kind of did my thing. I, I sort of walked to my own beat. And um, yeah, I was happy to get by and just do it. But I wasn't a very good student. I had a... In what way? I didn't apply myself very well. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't... Um, but again, it's my fault, but I, I think that being engaged a little more would have helped push me because I was written off as, as not a smart kid, but it, yeah. it's not really the case. I wasn't smart like they think, but I just had a, I didn't apply myself properly. You know? I mean, I was exactly the same. Yeah. I, I, I was one of those kids. I had a great time in high school, very, very social, all about sport, all about that sort of stuff. But in class, like I actually, I showed my children, which was a really stupid thing to do. Um, my school report from from uh, high school, Brett does not apply himself. Brett, Brett needs to apply himself. Brett would be a good student if he applied himself. And those sort of things, and I laugh about it now. And, and the thing is, you look back and you think, actually, I wonder what would have happened if I had have applied myself. But it wasn't for me. And school's not for everyone. Like, look where you are now. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that sort of thing's not encouraged in schools. No, absolutely not. <laughs> it's like, do your math, do your English, go to university. Yeah. And what am I going to do? Well, you'll be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. No, I'm an entrepreneur. It's that simple. Yeah. I knew from a young age that I was different and that I wanted to do different things. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. So at 14, why did you move? What happened? So my mum was actually an Australian. She was, she okay. was born in Sydney, Bondi, and moved to America when she was 10, moved to the Bay Area, uh, lived there, you know, met my dad. And then when Apple laid off their employees, that was like, it was kind of like the perfect storm. Like I was getting terrible grades. This was the early 90s. So there was a lot of violence in schools. We we're very close to East Oakland, which wasn't exactly the best environment. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, on top of that, I'm not really applying myself. And I think they feared that I would fall into the wrong crowd. And they were quite protective over me. And I think they they made a big sacrifice moving out here with, um, you know, they knew that I could be a, a kid a little bit longer here. And, um, but for them, it would have been daunting, I think. And I, I always um, praise them for making that sacrifice of giving up all their friends and everything they knew and moving to a place that none of us really knew. I mean, my mom was born here, but she was 10 when she left. She yeah, didn't really yeah. know how it worked. Uh, so where'd you move to? First moved to Brisbane, uh, Ascot on Racecourse Road, just right there. <laughs> like, um, Why Brisbane? Uh, we had a, a family member that lived there. It was my my nana's sister lived there, so we just kind of shared her flat until we kind of got on our feet and figured it out. And okay, done a few trips to the Gold Coast in the meantime because they wanted to kind of show off the spot to us, and uh, we fell in love with it. The family, like it w at first, it was my mom came out first, I came out second, and then because my dad, being a U.S. citizen, it took him a little longer to get permission. Yeah. So he was about six months behind my mom and I was about three months behind her. So we kind of staggered out and we finally settled on the Gold Coast about a week or two before my dad arrived. Okay. Yeah. So where'd you live on the coast? Uh, Belinga. Belinga. Golden Four Drive. Right yeah. There. Yeah. So. And so what school did you go to then? Uh, PBC. Okay. Yeah. So. And what, um, when you first went there, do you remember that? Yeah, absolutely. So this American kid rocks up. Yeah. Are you like a, a superstar walking in the door or are you, oh, my God, what's going to happen to me? If I was writing the script, it would definitely be the superstar. <laughs> but in the reality of it, I yeah. just um, I was very shy and, and timid. And I guess from where um, I was from, I, I was very reserved. And I didn't embrace that, hey, you're from somewhere else and you're, yeah. you're, you're different or you're special or any of that. I just kind of was like I always kept it real. 
and I never tried to front that I was anything that I wasn't, and I was quiet. And I was I was called new kid for about three years. <laughs> so, so um, and nobody, you know, really. There's a lot of people that are like that. That guy went to our school. Like, um, <laughs> but I, I made some lifelong friendships there yeah. with the people that I did connect with. But I didn't go out of my way to be popular. Or so, was there one so. kid? Do you remember the first day? I do. do you, was Was there one kid that you thought? Like that you met that day that you're still mates with now or, or those sort of things who, who sort of took you under their arm and, and looked after you? Um, he didn't sort of look after me in that sense, but we just connected. But absolutely, yeah, he's one of my dear friends. He was in my wedding party. We're still friends. He lives in New Zealand now. Uh, but, yeah, his name's Brad, so shout out to Brad. But uh, he's my oldest Australian friend and uh, still a dear friend to me. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Okay, well, Tingling talking about that sort of stuff because it's um, – it's like my, my son started uh, high school this year and there was a, there's three three boys. They're all from different schools. They all come together. So not the same circumstance but similar. They're all at a new school and he now speaks about them as he's been his best mates. And I know from my background, I've, I'm a lot older than you, but I, um, I've still got mates of 45 years like and that, that I met first day at school. Yeah. And it's really cool because they, they stay in your life. It's amazing to make those friendships, and I feel very blessed to the people. I'm still friends with the people I went to kindergarten with in the U.S. We yeah. still maintain a connection, and all the way up to here, my first year in um, in Palm Beach, Corumbin, with those people that I connected with. So did you make it through to year 12? I did, yeah. And yeah. how'd you go? I turned it around. We, were it, we turned the franchise around. <laughs> we actually did all right. Um, and was mum proud? Dad was prouder. Dad was proud. Uh, Mom was definitely proud, but uh, Dad, his whole thing, he didn't graduate high school, so okay. he was a bit rough and tumble again, and he was just like, look, I don't really, there's no pressure on you to do anything beyond, but you're graduating high school. That's a big thing for him. So, uh, and by the time year 11 came around and I could kind of stack the classes I wanted in the way I wanted yeah. to structure my future, which was silly to let me have that power. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So when, before you come out here, was there a... I'm going to do this in the future? Like, did you have that, I want to be a fireman, whatever that is, or work for Apple or whatever? Or was it sort of later in life, so the year 11, 12, you started to think, oh, actually, I'd like to do that. Was there a one of them? Uh, no, I think it was way later in life. I mean, I always was drawn to film, and but I, I wasn't the kid that was kind of like, one day I'm going to make a movie. I wasn't that guy. I was very lost for a long time, just kind of... I would try a lot of things. My dad was very encouraging, like, you know, give it a go, commit to it if, you know, and if you're going to do something, go all the way. And he kind of had that mentality, which has helped me through the years. But it, it took me a long time to kind of settle in to where I've kind of found myself now. I mean, all the way through the skate industry and shooting photos and, and into shooting skate videos and then into incorporating all of my kind of skills into trying to make movies and stuff like that. So... At, you, you finish year 12. What, what's mum and dad doing? Are they still on the coast uh, at these times? Are they working or...? Yeah, they were just still in Blinga. Um, yeah. They encouraged me to kind of... They, they knew I... They didn't want me to sort of lay around and surf all day because that was a passion I found that coming from <laughs> the city and then moving to right there on the on the beach, it was something that I spent a lot of time in the ocean. I was never exposed to it. So that was a great little outlet for me. But uh, they wanted me to push somewhere. And I, I went to the guidance counselor and, and I mentioned that, you know, filmmaking would be something I'm interested in. And this was 96. So they were kind of like, mm, you should maybe target something realistic. And so <laughs> they, uh, they pushed me into uh, hospitality management. That's the reason guidance counselors are school teachers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If you look at it, it's like, what career should I do? Now, you're a guidance counselor as a school teacher. It's yeah. Simple when you think backwards. Really? Yeah. So you went, went into the hospitality? Did you listen to them? 
Uh, yeah, I did. I tried to study and do the right thing. And I, again, I just always felt there were certain classes I took that I was really into, you know, and I was like, oh, this is great. I really love this. And then uh, this was just at TAFE. I just went to yeah. TAFE in like Ashmore. And um, but there were other classes that just they, they bored me to tears. And that's when I felt that I wouldn't apply myself. And so I, I had that sort of uh, this isn't really me. And I kind of, uh, you know, I was silly about it in that way where I would try things <laughs> for too long. Uh, oh, so you kept at it? I kept at it. You yeah. know, I, I tried to do the right thing. And um, and just ultimately it was like, look, I just, this isn't working. I'm going to have to repeat a lot of classes that I don't like. And, and I have to do it again. I have to do it again. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, oh, man, I can't. The irony of that. You know, yeah. <laughs> when yeah, you look but, at this, I was really shit at that, but I'll do it again and again yeah. and again until I get good at it. And pay for it again, you <laughs> exactly, know, the yeah, whole yeah. thing. So, uh, yeah, no, I definitely... So when did you realize? Was there a day? Was there a week? Was there a month? When when did you realize that actually I'm going to do that? Well, I went into um, to keep trying to find something to study. And ultimately, I was spending a lot of time. The surf was flat a lot at this time, and I was just skateboarding a lot. I always skateboarded. And, and were you a good skateboard? I mean, I was okay, but I was no professional. I was mm -hmm. definitely media, yeah. Like, you know, but I mean, I could do a few tricks or whatever, but probably not these days. But um, I had fun. But not something you're gonna go to the X Games or anything like that. No, so not, not a career. No, I definitely went to a lot of like um, action sports championships for like taking photos and like little. Um, so photography was a passion. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was the kid that had a, one of those little point-and-shoot 35-millimeter cameras yeah. on my hip all the time, and I'd shoot photos of friends and things, much like it's really good now because it's all on your phone. On your phone. Yeah, Everyone yeah. has one now, but I sort of went through the where let's make fun of him stage of... Uh, because he's got the camera. He's got a weird camera, and it makes you look like a dork. But I was always capturing these moments, and I always loved it. And uh, I found out that through the family, a bit of photography kind of runs in the family a little bit. Um, I bet you all those people now want to see those old photos, though. Yeah, I hope so. I still got them all. I keep everything like that. Uh, it's all memory. So sometimes, I mean, I know that I hear that these days and it's like a, a, people are against it, like live in the moment, don't shoot photos of it. But I'm like, look, I, in my experience, those photos are going to live longer than the memory will. hundred percent. And sometimes all you have is a photo, you know, so you go through life and sometimes like I've, I've lost a lot of people in my life and, you know, I, I have photos and that's kind of enough because it's all you got. No, it is. On my, on my office upstairs, I've got a photo of my grandfather on the wall and he's fighting in Egypt just before the Second World War. And he was the middleweight champion uh, of the army and he was fighting the heavyweight champion of the army. And there must be oh, 10,000 people just on rocks and sitting around this big ring. And he actually beat him. And I only know the story because obviously it got handed down through the generations. But I remember my pop and never wanted to talk about it, that sort of stuff. But I've actually got this big frame photo and I wouldn't have that unless there was a photo taken. That's an amazing story too. And, and, and those things because when you look at the photo and you look closer, you can actually see like all the different army guys. You can see yeah. these people and they were being entertained by a boxing match back in like 1942 or whatever year it was, which is insane when you think about it. That's so incredible too. And I mean, they say that a picture's worth a thousand words. Oh, 100%. But it could be worth a thousand conversations too, you know? And I mean, that's Love what's that. great about it because um, it's a conversation piece. Yeah, for know? sure. And you, you tell a story and you learn and it's so interesting. And I mean, that's a great story, uh, you know, middleweight beating a heavyweight. Oh, exactly. And, yeah, exactly. And that was my pop. That's incredible. <laughs> that's so cool. So when, you, um, you, when did you go from sort of still photography to... Moving. Uh, I, I sort of started to dabble. I got a few of my photos published in uh, skate magazines and mm -hmm. things like this. And uh, it just kind of eventually gravitated towards um, 
you know, instead of one frame, let's shoot a lot. And there was a little gap with a few of my friends where they weren't, uh, they needed cameramen and things like this. So I'd get a little video camera and start making little clips of them and stuff like that. And a couple of our friends went on to be um, quite highly ranked in as professional skateboarders. You know, mm -hmm. they have their own boards, their own shoes and their clothing lines and all this. They really excelled and went uh, to the to the top of the industry. And um, and yeah, I was sort of just part of that, you know, here on the Gold Coast. We had a very strong scene and it was... Um, and were you, what would you say your party that was as the cinematographer? Or uh, photographer, a bit or? of a photographer and a bit of like maybe a second ang angle cameraman. You know, I wasn't okay. really like the man. Um, yeah. There were some really, really talented skate um, filmmakers at the time. And I was just kind of, you know, just part of the scene. You yeah. Know, but definitely in and there. That, and that's because you enjoyed it. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah, it was everything. And what stopped that? Why did that end? Uh, I, I went through a lot of stuff in my early 20s. Um, you know, I lost my dad in 2003. Sorry and that was... That. No, oh, no, thank you. But it was uh, it was just a shock to the system. I still kept pushing, and then three years later, lost mom. Oh. And then yeah, it was just I was a little beat down by everything. Yeah, by of by two thousand and six, two thousand and seven, I kind of started falling off the the radar of the skate world, and I was still still there, still had my friends, but my motivation for all these little things in life that were so important just suddenly became not very important, you know. And did you find that you uh, went into sort of a, a, a depression type situation, or did you um, did you hit hard times at the time? Of course, yeah, yeah. I really really sunk down. Um, but you know, no drug problems, no alcohol problems. Like I was drinking a fair bit, but it wasn't sadness. I yeah. was sort of Irish wake style. You know, I was just sort of let's party, and then I don't have to spend those moments thinking about how average things are in my real life. And at the time, it was the hardest thing for me was those, you know, that 30 minutes when you're alone and you go to bed and you spend time with your thoughts. So yeah. um, usually if I drink till I fall down, I didn't have, have that. Worry about that. Yeah. And, and that, but I never really showed that depression. It was definitely present. I felt it. But I never wanted to be this sad sack kind of guy that Did sort of... Did you share of, it with anyone? I, I talked to a psychologist for a little while. It was like, a you know, the government sort of had me see him because yeah. the circumstances like that I lost my parents were that I found them. Oh, okay. uh, so yeah, I had the whole, you know, the failed CPR kind of deal. And oh, wow. it was very, it was, it was traumatic. And, but look... Uh, I'm not a poor me kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, so I never really played a victim or anything like this. I just kind of took my lumps and dealt with them in my own time. And I mean, some people probably thought I was a little, a little weird or, or odd at the time. But you know, I was going through something that was hard to explain. Uh, and eventually, that was kind of the, a very significant moment was going through that because it pushed me into who I am today. And I really found out who I was. You know. And at the time, if anything bad in my life had happened. You know, I always had a safety net, you know, and all of a sudden you've got no safety net. Mm. You're, you're out in this, you're, you're in the Southern Hemisphere, you're in Australia, you don't have a lot of family, all your immediate family are gone, you know, and I really sunk down, you know, I lost, um, I got blacklisted because I got evicted from the place. I was totally stressed, couldn't work, lost my job, lost the house, ended up living in a van. Like I was, it was hard times. Like yeah. I was couch surfing for a while when the couches ran out. I, I borrowed a van and I lived in that for a while. And eventually um, at the time I was kind of dating um, who came to be my wife with Tegan yeah. and um, sort of. So was she there for you during that whole period? Yeah. 
Yeah, which was crazy because yeah. like she never judged me on, you know, I'm, I'm like 11 years older than her as well. Um, never judged me on, oh, this guy doesn't have a license. He lives in a van. He sort of doesn't have prospects. But she would talk to me and, and she says it now that she had an understanding that I was somebody that was a little different and in a, in a good way. Yeah. Like I had that spark to me. And I remember one of our first sort of, I don't know if I want to call it a date, but we, uh, I had her, well, I asked if she would drive me to the library. And uh, I used my last $5 that I had to my name to photocopy pages of a screenplay book because I was like, look, I've been through something now and I've always been a writer and I'm going to write a story that could potentially be a film one day. And um, hopefully it would help people that are going through what I'm going through, you know, and, and that's kind of where it all started. So how did you meet her originally? At a party. A party I almost didn't go to. Oh, really? Yeah, it was crazy. Come on, tell me the story. Uh, well, I just kind of was over it, and it was a, it was a younger person's party. It was New Year's Eve, and I was like, ah, I'm kind of over it. I don't. And my buddy's like, come on, we'll have a good time. And we were both older dudes and that. So, um, But shout out to my boy, uh, Nathan, who, who threw this party, and, and I met my future wife there. That's um, pretty cool. And I think it was something as simple as uh, she was there, and I was waiting in line for the toilet. It was a house party. And... Um, or no, she, sorry, flip that. She was waiting in line and I noticed her there um, as I went in and I made sure that I put the seat down when I came out. <laughs> and I mentioned that, of course. You know. <laughs> so little gestures in life, kids. Uh, and uh, she noticed that and was just kind of like, oh, thanks for that. And that, you know, led us to start talking. And, yeah. and I sort of, uh, she kind of picked my brain and she was going through a few things in her life at the time as well. And um and yeah, we just got to talking and, and, you know, it wasn't like love at first sight kind of thing. It was like, we were just, it was a cool conversation. Yeah. She went home, I went home. It was no, you know, we didn't like connect that night like that, but we just met each other. And then through some mutual friends, again, she contacted the, uh, m my friend Nathan who had the party and he, he gave her my number. And then and who was that guy that put the seat down? Yeah. What a legend. Yeah. It was that American dude wearing a suit jacket and <laughs> drinking straight whiskey. And, I was like, and, you know, the kids are all with their UDLs. Yeah. So I definitely stood out, I guess. I don't know. But it's just kind of doing my thing. I felt ancient, but it, it was fun. And during this time, obviously, you've gone through a hard time and, and you meet this girl who sort of just goes for the ride with you. Is that the way it worked? Yeah. I mean, essentially, yeah, I was going through so much. And I think as she started to peel that that onion and, yeah. and get through all the layers of me, she was kind of like somewhat fascinated with the my story and how I don't give that impression when I'm, when you first meet me that yeah. I'm really going through like hard times. And, um, cause again, I always had a really positive mental outlook. Like that was always my thing that I was very blessed to have because, um, you know, I could have went down a very different path. Of course. Yeah. And lots of people do. Absolutely. And, um, so yeah. And she kind of got to know me little by little and, uh, yeah, it just kind of began there. And then she saw that passion. Like she she literally was saying the other day, she's like, ever since I've known you, you've been on this filmmaking journey um, from the first time we kind of went and you photocopied those pages yeah. up until you wrote your first screenplay. And then I tried to make a film, 2009, my first feature, and uh, failed miserably. What was that called? Uh, Daylight Hours. Okay. I'm what still going to make that film. Uh, that was the film I wrote that was kind of about a 20-something-year-old man who tragically loses his parents and how he deals with it in a skateboard culture. I mean, it, it was very much... So it was pretty much a lot it, it was, but I changed a lot of details, so it wasn't. Yeah, like, I, I switched things around, so I, I don't want to write about me, but I wanted to... They always say, write what you know. Yeah. And I, that's what I knew at the time, so I really wanted to put that down and tell that story. It was important to me. And So you didn't think about putting that in a book? It's always been a film? 
Yeah, it was always a film. I was we had a very film orientated family, I guess, as far mm -hmm. as not making, but I grew up watching films with my parents, and they were always paying attention to the details after a film. They'd always have little, and I'd watch them have games of who, where's this filmed, or what's that actor from. This is before IMDb and the internet, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. So you really had to remember a lot of stuff. And I remember my dad would always tell me like, "Oh, there's this stunt man, you know," and. Um, and it's like one of the best stuntmen in the world, like Buddy Joe Hooker. I don't know if you know. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah so he's, uh, you know, and I, I knew this as a little kid. So I was very intrigued and interested in that world. And um, through photography, then, you know, I just I managed to take these steps. It kind of led me on the path to like, look, this is, a, I think, what I should be doing. And the, the first time I actually directed something after failing. Um, and when you say you failed, how, how did you fail? What failed? I just tried to do too much. I was super ambi ambitious. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew, hey, I have a script and I've got all the ambition in the world. Let's make a film. And I was just lost in it, you know. Yeah. And, and um, I, I tried my hardest. Like I really busted my gut to make it work, but it just fell apart. You know, as a, it was a, I should have made a short film to yeah. start with, but I was just super ambitious. Um, and it just didn't, it didn't work out. So. Do you remember the day you pulled the plug? Uh, not the actual date, but I, I, re I remember the, the day of sort of admitting defeat, laying down the arms and going, we can't, we can't keep going at this because I'm wasting a lot of money and we're not getting, and, and, and it was sort of, I'd go through and it's not against any of the actors that were involved or any of the friends that were involved to help make it. It was, the script was so important to me and I, yeah. I wasn't doing it justice, mm. you know, and it was one of those feelings like, oh, I can't make something super average on this story. It's got to be perfect. It has to be better than this yeah. and I'm better than this or I need to be better than this. And, you know, I licked my wounds for a little while and um, I kept writing. Was there any relief? Um, Did you feel like after that happened there was a bit, oh, actually I don't have to stress about that now. I'll come back to that another day. There, no, there was like a different kind of feeling. The feeling of, you know, maybe letting down people who believed in me, mm -hmm. you know, and people that believed I was ambitious and and sort of... You know, we're, we're groomed to not fail. Yeah. And I think that's nonsense. Whenever 100%. I talk to um, students now, I say, oh, embrace failure. I failed my way to here. You know, like that's, you can learn so much from failure. But at the time it was very much, you know, you lose a lot of face and you feel like I let everyone down. So I, I had a really, it was, again, it wasn't my worst layer of depression, yeah, of but it was something that kind of sunk me a little bit. And I was, I was super bummed. Even now a little bit I am. But again, I'm a big believer in the pathways we take. So after sort of licking my wounds, I said, I need classical training. If I'm going to do this, I need to be trained properly on how, you know, you, somebody like Tarantino can go out and watch 100 films and know how to make a movie. Yeah. I'm not Tarantino. Mm. You know, I, I just... There's only one Tarantino. Exactly. <laughs> and, I, and I can't do that. So I, I didn't know the rules. So I need to know the rules. And um, that's when I, I researched everywhere and I found the New York Film Academy here on the Gold Coast, strange enough. And... Um, they had everything that I was looking for. They were hands-on. You know, the last thing I wanted to do was sit there in a study hall and, and lecture and talk well, about... You went so well at TAFE, so... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know how you want to learn, don't you? You learn these things. And I think as you get older, you do that as well. Like, yes. you actually understand. Like, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be amazing if kids... Or you didn't go to university till you were in your late 20s. Like, yeah. the differences in life that you'd make and the choices and all that sort of stuff... And the way you actually learn would be completely different. hundred yeah. percent. So during this time, when after the the let's call it the film failure for for starters, were, were you married by then, or are you still? No, we were. Uh, 
Had you hooked up yet? You... Oh, yeah, we were together, um, but we weren't engaged yet. Okay. Yeah, so we were just together. I think we got engaged in uh, a year later, okay. 2010. And do you remember that day? Yeah. Did you do the whole thing? Did you get out on the knee? Uh, it, no, it was, you know what, it's not a storybook tale. It, it almost was. Uh, <laughs> we were in so many cool, we were in America together for the first time, and I was showing her my hometown, and we were going to Lake Tahoe, and we were in all these really cool, beautiful spots in San Francisco overlooking the Golden Gate. We had all these, but the opportunity wasn't there because I hadn't got permission yet okay. from the parents. Yeah. I was pending permission. So I'm like, uh, all these opportunities. And then towards the end of the trip, um, I got the the go ahead, but we we've been everywhere. Cool, we've been to Disneyland. You know, we've been to L.A. We've been, and I'm like, well, there's not much left. And I was and like, did she know? No, she had no clue. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I had the ring hidden and everything. And uh, and then I believe we were in Los Angeles. Yeah, we were. We we're in L.A. and we we're getting on the plane, and we we're just about to leave to fly back to um, to Oz. And I just went, oh. The whole idea was to propose in America, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I've literally got about three <laughs> minutes before these wheels leave the continent. And uh, so you're on the plane, on the plane, really? Yeah. And I just, she goes. Normally, I'm very, I'm a, I'm a good talker. I talk, we, we chat. And I was really awkward. And she's like, "What's the matter with you?" And I had the ring, you know, we're sitting in our seats, and I had the ring in my hand, and um, I just kind of gave her a look, and I said, uh, "Want to grow old with me?" Oh, I love it. And that, that was that. She melted. And then, you know, being the somewhat savage that I am, I fell asleep on the plane. And she <laughs> sat there awake, engaged. and Looking at this ring. Yeah, just couldn't believe what had just happened. And uh, she goes, oh, yeah, you left me with that one, you know. But, uh, and that's the story. But I think in its own right, it's kind of, it's a lovely little story. As much as I wanted to drop the knee at somewhere significant, yeah. I think it was its own little weirdness, you know. Well, the thing is you... um you got to still do it in the States. That's right. So you actually fulfilled what you actually tried to do. Just. It was like, you know, you hit the shot at the buzzer. Yeah, I'll tell you, that'd be an awesome movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's <laughs> so unique. The poor bloke sitting there and he's like trying to yeah. work out when the time. That, yeah. That's pretty cool. And it like just it didn't make it. Yeah. But you got there in the end. So that was good. And then when did you get married? 2013. Okay. Yeah. So we were engaged for a couple of years and then uh, we eventually got married. Uh a beautiful wedding we had just at Rosser Park, just over in, uh, like, what is it, Bundle kind of yeah. area, little park in there, and it was beautiful, all of our friends, and it was a lovely little ceremony, and, yeah, it was it was one of the best days of my life, you know. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And so what year did you go to um, New York Film Academy? Uh, 2014 I started there. Okay. So yeah. you've just been married, you now just sort of married. realized, actually, this is what I... Yeah. want to do this is how I get my classical training as you put it before yeah like prior to the marriage it was always the plan but I I planned to start in January on the new school year or whatever so I I think I signed up sometime around July or something so I knew for about six months I was going to that school and we got married in September and then I just kind of rode out a few months because I remember saying to a family I picked up from the states coming to the wedding oh you know that's Village Roadshow Studios you know um the New York Film Academy they had their campus there exclusively at that yeah. time. So I was like, I'll be going to school on the back lot of that studio, you know. And and then, yeah, I turned around and eventually went there. And what was that experience like? It was amazing. I met um, all of what I call my film family yeah. there, you know, all the people that are my nearest and dearest, all the people that I, whenever I want to make something, they're my first board of call. And, did, um, did you find, because you always said you're sort of, not a misfit, but sort of just that on the edge. Did you find when you got there... You just slotted in like a glove? 
Um, a little bit. Like, but it was... I re, it's funny you ask that because I remember day one. Uh, because it's a film studio, you all have to go through a security check, mm-hmm. you know. So they would let us, instead of letting one at a time, they'd let us kind of build up and then bring us through as a group. And I remember sitting there alone and looking around at all these other filmmakers and actors and stuff and going, you know, I don't want this to be what it, what I always do. And what I always do is I sit here and I stay within myself and yeah. I stay in my lane and I just kind of eke through. And I thought, this is time to make that change. This is what I want to do. So let's get off on the right foot. So I I stood up and I walked around to every person and introduced myself. Hi, I'm Josh Hale. I want to be a filmmaker. What what are, what are you doing here? You know, and I introduced myself and I thought, this is, that's the change. It's a good start. Yeah, and, and that's it. I just went and tried to be cool with as many people as I could. And, um, you know, I wasn't trying to do too much. I was just making sure they knew I was there because <laughs> prior to that, they were, you know, I was the easily forgotten guy kind mm-hmm. of thing. You know? And what was the age sort of range when you got there? I felt like a dinosaur. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of fresh out of school people. That, that awkward uncle that's just walking <laughs> in the room. That's right. I ended up, I acted in so many films because they needed, they needed a dad or a lawyer or, a, you know, the doctor. I look like I've been in school for eight years and, you know, so. Oh, I love it. And then when, so how long was that course? What did you do? So I did the first year, uh, which was a diploma, uh, and I loved it. And that's when I made Insert Words Here. That was my thesis film as a short film Mm -hmm. and uh, that picked up a few awards at short film festivals in in the states and I was like you know what I I talked to the um, the the head of the Academy and he was uh, kind of a mentor of me uh, for me Uh, his name was Sean Casinger really amazing guy in my film career and uh, he said come back do the advanced he goes cuz you're gonna you can learn a lot more and we can push you to the next level and he really kind of took me under his wing and I'm still Every film I make, I, I give them a special thanks in the credits. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you've done the short film, then you do the, the advanced course. Mm-hmm. And what's the thesis? Is there a bigger film or same sort of thing? They gave us the option at the time to attempt a feature if it was the right script. And, of course, being... Did your head go straight back to your original feature you wanted to make? No. No. That's I, always been in the background? Yeah, that's... I want to... I, I made a, up my mind to make that probably like my fifth or sixth film. Okay. Something when I'm ready. We're going to go back to that and we're going to make a, the real deal. Yeah. Uh, so, no, I, and I was limited. There was limitations with doing the feature with them at the time. I don't know if they allow you to do that now. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time they said, look, if you think you could pull it off, you have, you have 15 days. You can make a feature in 15 days. And um, I remember people laughing at me and not like being funny. Like they laughing at me because they thought I was a joke for trying to make a feature film as a student. But I never felt like your average student. Yeah. You know, and um, I, I managed to finesse an extra three days out of them by filming on days where other students weren't using the gear, you know. Um, and we ended up making, that was Digital Athletes. Um, of course, I had to edit it for about maybe 18 months after I graduated. Yeah, yeah. But um, I just cut a seven-minute clip of it to show at graduation just to kind of pass the course um, and then cut it into a feature and that went out that won like nine awards internationally we made it for five thousand um, dollars with the help of you know the academy we had written it, it, it was incredible and I, we had such a good team and and what's it about what's digital athletes about it's uh gamers esports okay yeah so I, I it was like a like a parody kind of like best in show or yeah, yeah. Know, one of those kind of things you know a mockumentary um, and, you know, it just made fun of a world that I 
you know, I'm watching ESPN baseball highlights, and then all of a sudden they're talking about this esports, and I'm just going, oh, wait a minute, what are, these guys are athletes. Like, and then I kind of, yeah, it grew from there. It was actually an idea I had way before I went to school that actually developed it into a feature film because I'm like, look, we can really run and gun with this. It's not traditional filmmaking. It's it's docu mockumentary stuff. Yeah, so yeah. you could just kind of film. We had two cameras, and we just shot it. We ended up shooting that on Red Scarlet, so we had really professional cameras and, and a great team and some phenomenal local actors, just unknown actors that are just um, coming up in the game. And, uh, you know, we made a fun little film, and we, we premiered that at the Gold Coast Film Festival in uh, 2017. And how'd that go? Great. I mean, it was one an, another highlight of, of my life, you know, was that night, and we had, uh, you know, almost a full house, you know, in there for the premiere, and it was just great. It was a great, That's awesome. Great night. So what's the feeling like at the end of a movie, and you're sitting there going... I hope they liked it. I hope they liked it. Oh, and, yeah. then, and, then, and then all of a sudden it's either a standing ovation or everyone's like, and you think, oh, thank fuck for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that what it's like? It is. Yeah, the dread. Um, so I introed the film to applause and a great vibe, and then I walked straight out and went straight to the bar. Oh, did you? You yeah, didn't did. stay and watch? Nah, not until I heard the <laughs> laughter. Oh, really? And once I heard some laughter and uh, one of my buddies came out and he goes, what are you doing out here? And I said, oh. Ah oh, man, I don't know if I want to go in. And he goes, they're loving it. Get in there. You, you're gonna, you're missing out on this. And I was sort of snuck in. I had a seat put aside right up the back of the cinema for me, and I kind of snuck in the back. And and I kind of was, you know, I find myself watching the crowd, not the movie. Yeah, you know, yeah of I've course. seen it a thousand times. I'm pretty over it. The jokes aren't funny to me anymore, you know. <laughs> um, and I'm just like, uh, it, it's that moment where you really roll the dice. Am I a crazy person or is this funny? Yeah. You know, and then and there's nothing to tell you the right answer to that than 350 people sitting there watching it. And laughing. If they laugh, then, yeah, you, you, you did good. If they laugh in the right spots, it's even yeah. better. <laughs> oh, yeah, if they laugh in the wrong spots, it's back to the bar. <laughs> For sure. That's amazing. So that was in 2017. 2017, yeah. And then from there, now we've so you've you graduated. You're you're now fully qualified, yeah, um, as a director and and filmmaker. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really feel like I had my stripes yet at the time, even though I had a feature under my belt and I've written a few features at the time. I was still earning my titles, I think, and that's okay. an important thing. And that's just my respect for the game. Yep. You know, I didn't want to just oh, I've done film school. I'm a director now. It's like mm, not really. You know, you got to start making real moves before I, I sort of... These days, I definitely take the title. Mm -hmm. But but then it was I was still a little like, I've got a lot more to, to prove in myself, and I have a lot to grow. And a mockumentary, technically, it could be argued that it's not a real dramatic film, you know? So I was like, ah, I still have work to do. And I, I ended up doing like six-week study tour out to L.A. and uh, studying under some, some brilliant people out there and a film psychologist, I... Um, Dr. Tyrone Dixon, who has like been a mentor to me for years and a brilliant man who... Um, What's a film psychologist? Uh, I think just the psychology of film as far as like how the characters would think or how the storyline thinks okay. for an audience. And yeah. it was a really great breakdown because I've loved psychology and I love film and working with this man was absolutely incredible. Uh, I always sing his praises. He's another one that's on that thank you list constantly, you know. Um, I was so blessed. And that's just getting back to the NIFA thing. Um, the New York Film Academy is so many brilliant minds. Like I was able to learn cinematography from a, a gentleman by the name of Nino Martinetti, who's a, he's in the Hall of Fame of the Australian Cinematography Society, you know, and I picked his brain for two years and he's still a friend to this day. Um, and so these are the types of people that are actually teaching and yeah. at, at that school. Yeah, wow. you, yeah, you learn from people who are in the industry. So my daughter, who's 16 now in year 11, mm -hmm. what would you say to her about going to 
A film academy. Actor or f- filmmaker? She wants to be an actor. Right. Um, I think that, look, the New York Film Academy is a great environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's always the thing that you get what you put into it. Okay. They provide you the best environment. You have lecturers that are industry professionals that are at the top of their game that know the industry. They didn't make a movie in 81 trying to teach you how to do it now. Yeah, They're yeah, currently yeah. in the industry. Um, they have all the gear you need to be filmed on to be uh, to make films, to be showreels for actors. Um, so the environment, and they also still have half their campus at Village Roadshow Studios, okay. one of the only uh, film schools to have, you know, uh, a working... Uh, uh, on campus a on, a, on a back lot, yeah, 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 a studio. So there's so many benefits to it, but it still comes down to the individual. I mean, if you don't put in the work, you're... But the same as everything. You know? Everything, yeah, absolutely. Like, you you, you might graduate, but there's a, there's, there's a game you got to play too, you know, and it's the networking game. It's the... Well, there's a lot of out-of-work actors. Absolutely. There's a lot of out-of-work directors and filmmakers too. Absolutely, especially now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So... Talking about now, then, how has what's going on in the world at the moment affected the film industry? It's definitely put a pinch on it. I mean, we were, I was very blessed to be in post-production on House of Inequity. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd been accepted to 2020 Gold Coast Film Festival, which was fantastic. We had our world premiere lined up for April 23rd, and then the world pandemic shuts down everything, um, which is okay. I'm, I was never sad about that. So if you're in post-production, did you say? Yeah, yeah. Does that mean you're behind the scenes doing the editing and yeah, stuff like that? Yeah, all the so, shooting's done. So, um, you, so you, you can still continue that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so individuals had it. We had our visual effects uh, guy doing all of our effects and coloring, and and he was doing making the film look pretty and making all of uh, the effects happen. And then we had uh, a gentleman by the name of Vic Casper doing our sound for us, which was – he's brilliant. He's won a golden reel. He's like a legend, works with uh, Disney and Marvel, and uh, we were lucky enough for him to be interested in what we were doing. (laughs) And and with House of Inequity, we worked with some brilliant – people on the Gold Coast in the film industry also. I just give a, another little shout-out to Stingray Sushi Studios, who are primetime Emmy Award winners for the Pacific. Uh, Jack and Chad uh, over there came on board. They read the script. They enjoyed it. And they said, yeah, we want to. And I go, well, wait a minute, fellas. We don't have a big budget, you know. And I know you guys, you do the big budget <laughs> stuff. So I don't know if we can technically afford you. And they were so cool about it, and they were so interested in what we had going on that they, they um, itemized all of our... Um, special effects shots for us and, and made it so, you know, we could uh, utilize them and, and their skills as best as possible. And they just went above and beyond and, and really took our little indie film and pushed it over the There's line. There's some nice people in the world still, isn't there? It, it's amazing. And and that's all it takes is, you know, you reach out to these people and, and you have a like-minded sort of way about you and, and you never know what can happen. So House of Inequity. Yes. What is it? It's a horror film. Okay. Yeah, we went. I, I more refer to it as gorer because we really pushed on the the gore, the blood and guts. Yeah, it was. Uh, so yeah. it's not one of those films because I oh, I'm a big scaredy cat. Okay. So you know when when you the the, the sort of is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? It's more of the sort of cutthroat blood and guts type stuff because I can handle that. Definitely blood and guts. I mean, there's <laughs> a little bit of anticipation and nervousness in some of the hunts, but uh, ultimately, hunts. yeah, <laughs> yeah, everyone's gonna, yeah. Uh, but uh, definitely um, the gore side of things. Well, that'd I, be but fun to make, though. It was amazing. I mean, yeah. I, with the poor, the guy say, "Is that enough? More blood, oh. <laughs> more blood." I think we had like 60 liters of stage blood. Just. <laughs> We were going crazy. Keep going, keep, keep going, going. Keep going. Um, so where do you film that? We made it here on the Gold Coast. We built our own set uh, in Helensvale, and we had just a, a shed back there that we built the interior of a house. Uh, 
yeah. inside the shed. And then we filmed all the exteriors around the Gold Coast. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, was, so you're in this shed cutting people up. Yeah. And, like, from the outside, no one would have any idea what you're doing in there. Not at all. Looks like a boat shed. Isn't it amazing? We did do a, a letterbox drop around the neighborhood letting people know, like, hey, if you hear a scream at 2 a.m., <laughs> it's all good. We're, we're shooting a horror movie here. And most people were very excited just about the prospects of it. That it, where, that it was happening in yeah. the neighborhood. Yeah. They were kind of like, wow, okay, just don't park on my lawn and it's all good. You know? <laughs> don't spill any blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, keep the blood inside. And did that um, end up showcasing at the film festival? It didn't because of the cancellation. Uh, so they canceled the whole festival, unfortunately, because of the COVID-19. But, uh, you know, I, I felt bad for a lot of mainly the people that work there, like Lucy and Izzy, the people that run the Gold Coast Film Festival. They work so hard to put on and showcase these great films, and they help the industry, Southeast Queensland and Australia. And, you know, for them to work so hard and have the buildup, and they just announced... We, we, I, I knew about it for a long time, but I just announced a few days prior and within a week, everything was canceled. And mm -hmm. I felt more bad for them because yeah. for us, it's like, look, I'm still sitting on a film. We're still going to launch it as soon as the cinemas open up. Um, so it'll go to cinema? It will go for a premiere uh, for okay. now. We're still going to try and do a festival run, but everything is really in the air right so now. So how does that work? Explain that to me. So so we've got big budget films, like obviously Elvis is being filmed or mm -hmm. was being filmed here until... Um, the coronavirus issues, um, and then you've got indie films, mm -hmm. and then you've got festivals, and then you've got sort of cinema releases and stuff like that. So what, what, what's the difference? How does that all work? Well, I think with the studio films, they have direct distribution. So they, they'll finish their film. They have a, you know, all of their marketing is ready to go. The one thing about Hollywood is they're very good about marketing things. Like yeah. there's movies at the cinema that... I don't have Shouldn't any be at the cinema <laughs> or I have no desire to see, but I know it's playing. Yeah. And that's how good the marketing teams are. And they, they, they come with those big studios. Mm -hmm. When you're an independent, you kind of are lacking that backing. So you kind of have to go out there and get people to look at you. And a festival is a great way to do that. So you get accepted into a festival and you screen and, you know, maybe some industry heads come and check it out. Or you start to get some laurels on your poster and you kind of get some momentum. Then you could go to a place like, uh, a film market and potentially sell to a studio or to a minor and and they'll help you get the film out there. Okay. So it, it's a bit of a different process. I mean, it comes down to a little bit of who you know in the industry too, yeah, yeah. which is a problem I've been having just because I'm, I find that I'm, I'm qualified at writing and making and producing, directing, but... Are you still the new guy? <laughs> no. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how I'm perceived, but uh, I guess I'm just an indie filmmaker. I mean, I've had a few under my belt here on the Goldie, and I make Australian films despite my accent. Yeah. I guess people just associate me with making indie films now. I, I, don't, I don't really know. And is that the moniker you want? I just want to be a storyteller, to be mm -hmm. honest. Like, um, I, that's why I did a mockumentary, so comedy, and now I've done a horror. I wanted to pick a genre that was completely opposite. And I'm writing a movie right now that's completely opposite to horror. Oh, really? Yeah. A love story? Uh, it's a feel-good movie. Okay. Almost like a Disney kind of feel-good movie, yeah, yeah. you know? And everyone's like, oh, man, like, you know, <laughs> ready for another horror movie. You know? <laughs> well, I want to just mix it up. I never want to be put into a box of being oh, you're the horror guy or you're the comedy guy. It's yeah. like, I want to be a storyteller. Um, all different kinds of stories are interesting to me. Um, so I don't want to ever just have to tell one thing. And, and you tend to do that in the industry. It feels like certain filmmakers fall into certain genres, you know? 
So if someone wanted to see, say, Digital Athletes or those sort of movies, where can they see that? I've had a few offers for distribution on Digital Athletes, but I'm kind of sitting on it right now, um, hoping to kind of keep it under my belt until House of Inequity goes out. Okay. And then hopefully I just want to get them on a platform that's going to be seen by a wide audience. So is there is there a market for a platform for independent filmmakers? Like, a, not, I'm going to say YouTube is probably the wrong answer, but something like that specifically for those types of films where people come and pay to see films or whatever way that's going to work. Yeah, I mean, I guess like iTunes and things like that, you can sort of pay to see someone's movie or, or, or a platform like Netflix or, or Stan is a really good one, you know. And um, But it's so just... do they pay for those movies? They do. Um, they definitely pay for them. Uh, I'm not sure what the deals are like with them. I know that some of the video on demand sites are not, they don't pay a great deal. Yeah, yeah. You know, you hear those horror stories about like, um, you know, Spotify don't pay the artists a lot of money. Yeah. I'm sure they get paid okay, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't really know the politics too. too so, as an independent it. filmmaker, how do you make money? So far, I um, have just been able to luckily leverage my skills in other avenues okay. uh, while my indie films are kind of pending. So you're, you're making films and then working on the site pretty yeah, much yeah. or the other way around, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I have a couple uh, revenue streams going on, plus yep. once the indie films go out, they hopefully will, will do their thing. I've never been in it for the money, so I do a lot of work for, for no money, which yeah. is fine. But outside of that, um, when it comes to other projects that I'll, I've done, like location managing for a, a Chinese TV show that was out here filming in 2018 okay. and, you know, just little gigs like that. I'm also, I'm the producer of the Brisbane Bandits live broadcast. So oh, awesome. the uh, baseball team in Australia. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so I've been running that for about six years now as well. So I kind of work my way around and, and plus I'll do, uh, some master classes and then also, um, I'm like, a, I forget what my title is at the New York Film Academy, but they'll send me around to speak to potential students. It's not, it's not like recruitment, but it's close to that. It's okay. like out, outreach or something yeah, like yeah. this, you know, um, where they'll send me because I'm an alumnus. So they, they want to, people want to talk to me. I'm, I'm doing well and doing my thing. And, and they, kids want to potentially see, well, where can you go? And I'm an example of where you can kind of get yourself going to. And um, do you find that there's a lot of kids out there that want to tell stories? Yeah, I mean, I, I or there's just that quiet kid in the back corner who you never point know. Out you never pick. know. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool, isn't it? It, it? it is, and I mean, I know that a lot of kids can they want to get into it for the wrong reasons, but it doesn't mean that they'll be in it for the wrong reasons once they're in it. Yeah, yeah, you I know. So um, I try and just be real with them. Like, you know, I mean, I, I had one kid come up to me. He says, "Oh, I just want to do voiceover work because I saw that like Seth Rogen works in a robe." And I go, "Wait a minute, wait a minute." <laughs> I said, wait a minute. I said, don't believe the hype. That, that guy's been working hard since he was 16. Exactly. And he has earned the robe. Like, if, if, I said, if you want to get in the well, film you industry. Have to. He, yeah, he earned the robe. He earned the robe, for sure. Uh, if you want to get in this industry and you want to easy, I just don't get in this industry. This is a grind. Like, And I would list off the things I have going. Like, I'm, I'm producing a, a feature called The Lost Ones right now. I've got, I'm writing mine. I'm in post-production on House of Inequity. My new film's going. I've got bandits coming up. Like, I'm busy um, with just, and it's like, and I'm barely making it. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? So, I like, it's, uh, if you really want to crack it, you got to be the hardest working guy out there. You have to really, really go for it. Well, it's the same as anything. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's not, and especially in the arts, because, you know, if you're just busting your guts, you're going to get that guaranteed paycheck. In the art, you're, you're kind of not guaranteed the paycheck, but you still have to work as hard, you know? 
Very, very true. Okay, some interesting questions that a lot of people probably wouldn't know about you. What's your favourite horror movie? My favourite horror movie of all time? All time. Candyman. Candyman? Yeah, I don't know why, but I think it's because... Uh, it's kind of inner city, and that's where I grew up. <laughs> yeah, you know, I watched Friday the Thirteenth. I love Jason, but it's like well, I wasn't in the woods. No, fair cool, safe. Fair cool. But Candyman was like the inner city, and that was kind of spooked me a little. Like I was a little <laughs> older too, so I was like, "Why are we watching horror movies?" <laughs> and this gets me. But I love it now to this day. I think it's a great film, and I hear that Jordan Peele's remaking one, and it's supposed to have come out this summer, but uh, summer in the U.S. Sorry, yeah. so it's probably pushed for our summer now, which I'm really, really can't wait to see it. Favorite comedy. Um, probably like best in show. Yeah. Okay. Like, um, you know, mockumentary sort of Christopher yeah. guest. Um, I, I also got to give a shout out to the castle. Uh, what a great movie. Brilliant. Right. Low budget and amazing. Seriously. It's in the top two, three movies of my life. I, I love it. Yeah. I, when I first saw it, I thought, Ooh, I don't know if I'm going to get this. I don't know if I've been in Australia long enough. Yeah. And I was howling with laughter. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I get it. I've been here long enough, you know, and, uh, some brilliant people in there as well. And you see a young Eric Bana in there and, it's and pretty some clever, really, really brilliant actors. what do you think of Chopper? Love it. Yeah. That was amazing as well. Isn't it amazing? He went from that to that. Hey. Like the, the, the ability of that actor to actually be able to do that was Amazing. Incredible. Yeah, um, he, uh... The caliber of talent that that man possesses. I was lucky enough to actually spend a little bit of time with Eric uh, late 2019. He was promoting The Dry, which is his new movie that's coming out. Uh -huh. And uh, we ran in, into each other at a conference and uh, got to pick his brain a little bit, just a little. And how was that? But, um, he's, he's an amazing person. He's just a good bloke. Good, too, good guy, like very down to earth. You wouldn't even... You know, and I mean, he's reached the heights of heights, you know, yeah, yeah. but some of the coolest movies that he's done are, are like the castle. And, and, uh, I mean, even though that was a some small part yeah. and, uh, the older stuff he did, he's, he's, it comes from a comedy background, which is amazing, but then plays Chopper Reed in like the most incredible way possible. Well, he used to be on fast forward, yeah. which was a TV show out here he, many, yeah. many years ago. And as a comedian did the Poida thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah man. He was all, he's all time. I mean, that's that level of talent. I think that Australia is so full of those kind of talented people, you know, yeah. and I think of well, like Rebel Wilson and those Hugh Jackman, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. you get a guy who's like a quadruple threat. You hear of a triple yeah. threat, but you get a, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mix that few possess where you can be a very talented performer. You could sing, you could dance. The ladies love people like him and the guys love him too. hundred percent. And it's a mix that's so rare. And you kind of got that with guys like Heath Ledger and you got it with, with Hugh Jackman. I think you have it with, um, Banna as well. Yeah, I saw, I had the pleasure of seeing him live, uh, when he did Peter Allen show and the fact that. Was that Boy From Oz? Boy From Oz. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. It was just unbelievable. And like, I didn't really want to go. I got dragged there and I, I come out loving it more than anyone else that was yeah. there. It was unbelievable. Oh, he's what about your favorite feel good movie? Favorite feel-good movie? Um, well, the one that makes me feel good is Field of Dreams. Oh, what a great movie. Great film. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it makes me feel like I'm chopping onions on my cheek towards that last scene, but just because the connection with the dad and the baseball and it, I, I draw parallels to it, but a brilliant story, and um, it always makes me feel good, even though maybe it's not classified as that, but I, I still, it makes me feel good. I still love it. A movie's what it makes you feel. That's it. That's what it's all about. Yeah. What about a um, sort of biography? Oh, wow. Biography. Well, like, um, did you like Rocket Man? Did you like um, The Queen? I, I love Bohemian Rhapsody. That I thought good. that was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I, I remember walking out of the cinema going, oh, Rami Malek will win the Oscar for that for yeah, sure. 100%. 100%. It was just phenomenal, and I'm a big Queen fan and Freddie Mercury fan as it is. 
And I just thought, yeah, he was he was magnificent. I thought it was uh, a tremendous film. So there's a film that failed at the cinema that is usually in everyone's top three or four movies of all time, and that's Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that movie? I think it's I think it's great. I think it's a feel good movie. It's a powerful movie. I I, I love it. I mean, um, why would that have failed at the cinema? Do you think? You know, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, it could have been. Like perhaps it's 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 a weird one to market. Yeah, maybe. that's what I was thinking. The, more you know, the, market the marketing, sort of it's it's tough, but it's one of those ones that people give a chance to and and are are moved by it. You know, I mean, it's um, it's such a incredible triumph, and and for uh, that film to be made, you know, and it be a short story of Stephen King's, and you know, optioned to um, to the filmmaker for you know that deal that Stephen yeah. King does, and and for him to make such a tremendous film, it's and it's such a journey too, you know. Um, with a great payoff, and it's a it's a masterpiece, really. It is. I, mean, it I, is. I, I love that film. Is there anyone in particular that you'd love to see a movie made about? Um, you know, to be honest, I, 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 there's two gentlemen that come to mind. Uh, one of them would be Stevie Wonder. Yeah, I'd love to see a Stevie Wonder movie, and and Michael Jackson. I'm a big Michael Jackson. I know he's controversial controversial to like that guy, but I really I, I think that uh, all the allegations against him were, you know, I don't think they hold much uh much grounds to be honest i it's just my personal belief i'm sure that Who a lot of people are gonna, uh i'm not sure they well they made that movie uh the jacksons um back in the 90s and they had a young man play him quite well because yeah, um, i think it'd have to be a uh, someone that's not really known that uh, it couldn't be latoya no <laughs> <laughs> probably has the right look but <laughs> but but it's like ray the movie ray oh phenomenal and you wouldn't you wouldn't pick that. Like, it's one no. of those sort of like that's not the actor you think would, would star in that. Um, Absolutely. But Stevie Wonder, that would be a great story. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, somebody who's kind of gone. Uh, I love the um, we can all connect with people that battle adversity and things like that. And, you know, him coming up, you know, with doing some amazing things at a very, very young age without his sight and just it's tremendous. Yeah, I think his story is going to be one. And there's a producer out there right now already optioning that for sure. But I think 100%. he doesn't have a final chapter, which is thanks to us, uh, because I still want to see him in concert. And, you know, I don't want that chapter to be over for quite a long time. Because, again, when I was in uh, the deepest parts of the mire, so to speak, uh, I think that music really helped. And, and Stevie Wonder was one of those big people that I would listen to and get inspiration from. He's one of those artists that no matter how old you are, like my kids, I listen to a Stevie Wonder song and the kids know the words. And I was like, how? Yeah, it's timeless. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. A pure legend. A couple of things I'll able to do before I finish a podcast. What's your greatest ever achievement in life? Um, I mean, I guess happiness. Is that... Oh, that's awesome. I, I mean, I guess that's probably... Because I had such a rocky road, but I managed to land with positivity and... Um, and I met somebody that completed me uh, in my wife. And I believe that just based on that, it gives me the power to go out. And no matter if I fail at what I'm trying to do, I come home a winner. You know, does that make oh, sense? I love it. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. Like, that, that's, I think, is my greatest achievement as far as that. And, um, you know, and I think that that's never going to be beaten, I don't think. And anything else is a byproduct of having that happiness that's where you got to stem from, I think. You don't chase the, the money, the riches, the fame. You, you, you get the happiness dialed in and everything else on top Once of that. Once you find so it, everything else comes. It's easy. Who's the person or the people who have had the biggest influence on your career? 
uh, people that I don't know would be like, you know, guys like Spielberg and mm-hmm. like that. But people that I know are a few of the gentlemen that I've mentioned, like uh, Nino, Tyrone, and Sean. Um, but my wife also, and, you know, my dad, Gary Hale, for sure. Like, he taught me to really push myself and commit. He was never, he wouldn't let me half step. You know, and, and that's helped me later in life yeah, yeah. where people say like, wow, you really go all in. And it's just like, well, it's, it's been ingrained in me since I was a little kid. And that, that's his doing. And of course, my mother, Sandy Hale, who um, also brought that artistic side and they influenced me. I got the tattoo on my arm here that's a dedication to them. And I, I put it where I can see it every day because they definitely were the ingredient that helped me become who I am today. That's amazing. Some quick fire questions. You ready? Mm-hmm. Favorite food? Uh, Mexican food. Favorite song? Um, I don't know. I've been listening to like Post Malone. I don't know. Lately, <laughs> I don't know what my favorite song would be. Favorite movie of all time? Jaws. Oh, that was quick. Oh, yeah. Favorite place in the world? Uh, anywhere with my loved ones. What's next for Josh Hale? Uh, right now, I'm going to produce a film that's going to be shooting on the Gold Coast in September called The Lost Ones. Um, brilliant uh, writer, director. Um, writer and director, two different people that are attached to it, and we're, we're building a cast right now. And then uh, I'm writing my next film to hopefully shoot in December, January, the end of the year. That's awesome. Yeah. Mate, thank you so much for being so open and honest with us. Thank you for telling us your story. And as far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. Thank you so much. And thank you so much, too. Cheers, Josh. Thanks. What an amazing human. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you enjoy the rest of the Podfire podcasts. And I really hope that you enjoyed Awesome Humans. Reach out to us on Podfire and all the social media channels as well as BJ Macker uh, to reach out to me personally. Have a great day.